Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We'll look at verses 36 through 44 this morning. And I'm looking around at you. You seem somewhat alert this morning. We're going to talk about that. I know the effects of turkey in people's lives, especially on Sunday morning after they've eaten a lot of turkey. But I hope that you've had a blessed, blessed week. It has been a blessed week for me. I was, several folks have asked me, so I'll go ahead and say that I got plenty to eat. You can probably tell. Uh, when I was up, I went up there and I think I shared with you all, it's kind of like the prodigal son comes home, right? Well, I got there Sunday evening. I began to indulge myself in the luxuries of my mother's kitchen and, uh, my sister looked at me and she said, the prodigals come home. Look what mama cooks. <laughs> I said, I understand. I, I, I have identified with that story. As a matter of fact, I mentioned it this morning, but I forgot to tell the folks that there was an elder brother that was in that story. You remember the elder brother? He could also be identified as the little sister, the one who stands outside and pouts and complains that the prodigal has come home. I said, just know that can be you if that's the way you want to act this way. Hey, we all got things right, and we had a great week after that or so. <laughs> I hope that you had a great week. We've had moments to stop and reflect, even as Mike reminded us a moment ago. We've had moments to give God thanks, and we should continue to give God thanks. It is not confined to one season. But I do also believe now that we pivot just a bit. You know that before long, we're going to be having Christmas songs and the sanctuary here will be decorated. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, if you want to help decorate the church, 3 p.m. this afternoon, all right? 3 p.m. They will put you to work if you come up here, all right? 3 p.m. They're going to decorate things. There are going to be uh, Christmas wreaths and decorations and you'll see the poinsettias before long and there will be songs and all of those things will happen we'll be pivoting toward what we call the advent season or the first advent the idea is it is the first coming it refers to the obviously jesus the son of god coming to this earth being incarnate taking on flesh and walking ministering teaching and ultimately giving his own self as a sacrifice for us. That is the first coming, the advent. But today as we start to pivot toward the coming, the first coming, I want to stop a moment, and I know it's out of order. I know we're going to talk in just a few weeks about Jesus again coming to this earth the first time, but I want to focus for a moment about how that first advent leads us to the idea of the second advent or the second coming of Jesus. Because when we think about the life of Jesus, and that's what we've been looking at, we recognize that he still lives. If you were here last week, we talked about the resurrected Lord. He still lives. We don't talk about a life that was lived simply in the past tense. We talk about a life that continues to go on and on and go on in majesty and sovereignty. That is what we believe about Jesus. And because he came the first time, 
we have confidence that he will come the second time. You and I need to know that. And we need to be reminded of it. That there is a returning one. Matthew gives us a lot of information about this second return. About the second coming, that is. He gives us a lot of information. Matthew 23 through 25 is an extended teaching period for Jesus. 24 and 25 in particular has been called the Olivet Discourse. That is, on the Mount of Olives, he began to really flesh out some of the happenings of the end times. And I want to share with you this morning in the context of that from verses 36 through 44. Look at verse 36. Jesus is speaking. Again, he's teaching his disciples. They've asked him the question in verse 3. They've actually said, tell us what's going to happen. Tell us what it's going to look like. Give us the signs. When will these things occur? Verse 36, Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He says, no one knows. In verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known that what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I just want to give you two two things this morning, okay? As we think about the coming, as we think about what Jesus says to us here, I want you to know this morning that you can be sure and that you can be ready. That is so important here for us in this place, that we are sure and that we are ready. Now, I know it seems strange to say, be sure, and then read verse 36. That's the reason I paused a moment ago. Because I'm telling you to have confidence in the coming of the Lord, but Jesus said that no one knows the time, the hour, the day, the specific second when he will return. So here I am telling you to be sure, and yet in verse 36, it sounds like uncertainty. No one knows, not even the Son of Man himself, which note this. Jesus limits himself in his, his humanity. Here he is. He is truly God. But according to Philippians 2, 5 through 11, he limits himself in his power, in his knowledge. He limits himself for just a little while while he is here on this earth. So he says, not even the Son of Man knows. Not an angel, not the Son. No one knows. That word know is the idea of knowing for a fact. The idea is that no one has the factual knowledge to predict the exact moment of Jesus' return. Nobody does. Angels, nor the Son, nor anybody else that 
that prides themselves on being a theologian or a biblical scholar or whatever they want to call themselves, no one knows. I will say to you, that means that we need to be very cautious and discerning when we hear predictions, when we hear people who come making such claims that they know exactly when Jesus is going to come. You'll hear this, won't you? I mean, think of it. How many times have we heard somebody say it will be this exact date? It will be this exact moment. The end of the world. Maybe they will somehow couch it in that terminology. The end of the world. Or perhaps they will say Jesus' return will be on this exact date. And yet, the deadlines and the predictions have come and they have gone and still there has been no return. You know why? Because they have no clue. They have no clue about the return or at least the specific moment of Jesus' return. They have no clue. But I could have told you that because I've read Matthew 24, right? I would even suggest to you if they make such a claim, you can almost bank on it. It's not going to happen on that day. Because no one knows. Now, I have gotten into my own kind of studies of this before. And I mean, I mean I've gotten into it. Like when I was in high school, I mean, I just got into the end time study. I don't know if any of you have done that. I'm, and it's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. Okay, I'm not being, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, to, to somehow uh, damage your reputation or your ideas about things. But I, I had those moments about where I was like, I was just going to study everything. I would read every article. I was in high school. I wanted to know everything I could about it so I could try to figure out at least the season. Because it says you can know the signs of the times and the season. Kind of right? I knew I wouldn't figure out the date. But I was, man, I was working on it. I even came up with my own chart. You know everybody's got a chart. You hadn't made it till you got a chart. And I was working, look, I, I, I fell into this theory. I mean, I fell into it. It was the idea that around the year 2000, remember that year, some of you? Yeah, a lot of y'all remember that year. I'm thinking to myself, there are a few of you in here, though, younger ones. I, I'm dating myself. But remember all the hoopla around 2000? It was like, you, you, I mean, we had Y2K which was like when all the computers were going to shut down and all those things were going. I mean, Leslie had me like bottling water and putting it in bathtubs. And I mean, um, we, we, were, we were prepared for 2000, Y2K, what was going to happen. But in that context, like I said, when I was in high school, I'd started reading. And then even college, I, 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 got, it, I got into this theory that uh, like one day equals... Like a thousand years equals one day with the Lord. It's kind of like that. You know, kind of thinking through. I mean, this sounds biblical. Okay. So I got to thinking, you know, you know, that I'm a young earth guy. And I have been. So back then I was, I mean, I was into the young earth stuff. And it was, so that meant that the world was about, 6,000 years old, like around 2,000, be around probably somewhere, somewhere around 6,000 years old. So one day, 1,000 years, or 1,000 years, one day, um, that would be like six days. 
Right? With the Lord. You remember what he did in creation? Six days. He made all the earth. Right? Six days. Seventh day he rested. Well, I believed in like a millennium. Like a thousand year reign. Revelation. I believed that one day there would be a thousand year reign on earth. On earth. So I had a millennium. I had it worked in. It was a thousand years. So I was kind of like, you know what? He's about to finish the week. That thousand year, that would be like a day. That would be like the Sabbath. And he's going to take a break. He's going to rest. He's going to allow his earth to rest. Man, I got it. I'm telling you, I figured this stuff out. I didn't think it would be the year 2000 necessarily, but I thought it was soon. I thought it was, I was working it out. And again, I'm not making fun of anybody. Understand, I think that we ought to study and we ought to seek and we ought to do everything we can. So don't, don't hear me saying that, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to push back against you and your study. Not trying to do that at all. I just want you to know that ultimately, no one knows the exact time. No one knows the exact hour. There can be theories. There can be uh, some type of philosophies out there that are attractive. But no one knows the exact time or moment. But I want, to hear, I want you to hear this morning that you can have certainty. Well, you just said no one knows. Jesus said no one knows. Well, you do not know the exact time or hour, but don't miss this. You know that Jesus is going to return. We may be uncertain about the exact timing of his return, but we are absolutely certain of his return. We may not know the exact moment, the exact day. I may not can tell you that, but I will tell you with all certainty that Jesus Christ will return one day. How do I know that? Jesus himself said it. Jesus himself said it in verse 37, but as the days of Noah's were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In verse 39, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, Jesus said there's, there's going to be a moment when I come back, I return. And just as the first advent was a historical fact, the second advent will be a historical reality. Just as Jesus broke into history as he came and walked this earth, one day Jesus will break back into history as the reigning king that he is. You and I can count on it. I often say it's that we as believers need to understand this is not pie in the sky stuff that some preacher just talks about. It's not something that we just hope about this is the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do on our behalf. It is true. You and I could be sure, we can be certain that he will come again. Earlier in this chapter, again, I told you that the whole chapter in, verse, in uh, chapter 25 as well, that those two relate to the coming of Christ, the end time. And there in chapter 24... In verse 27, it said, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice how he's speaking about the reality of it. He said, This is how it will come. It will come. In verse 30, 
Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Notice over and over, Jesus says, the Son of Man is coming. He is coming. The early disciples the apostles themselves, they knew that. Think of Paul and the way he fleshes it out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I love it. I love this. I love to be able to stand when people are grieving, when they're going through difficulties of their life, especially as they've experienced the loss of loved ones. And I love to be able to come back to this passage that Paul gave us for that exact purpose and to be able to remind them of the hope that they have in Christ. This is what Paul said. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Get this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Paul said, don't sweat death. Don't be consumed with fear about what's happened to your loved ones who have died in the Lord, know that one day Jesus is coming again. He was certain. You and I should not confuse uncertainty for humility. Sometimes we look at things and, well, we just don't know. We just, you know, we, we're not sure. And that makes us sound humble. Folks, Humility is bowing to the word of God, bowing to who God is, and standing firmly in what he says, what he has said, given to us. And when we stand on what about the coming of Jesus, we know that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is going to come again. It is a historical event, and you and I can have confidence in it. We can have certainty. We can have the surety of who he is and what he is going to do. You and I can have certainty. In confidence that Jesus is coming again. I, I, I love the way Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, most of the time we think about it as the resurrection chapter of the New Testament. That is, it deals so uh, extensively about the resurrection and who we are. But 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In a moment. I love the way Chuck Swindoll speaks about that word, moment. In the original language, it is atmos, which, as some of you who are 
scientifically minded. It is the word we derive our English word Adam from. Chuck Swindoll says, it is an indivisible moment. It is an exact, precise event and time. When Jesus will return. When it will occur so quickly, it will, it will occur so completely, just as it takes just that brief amount of time for a light to flash across the eye, Jesus will come in that moment. Be sure. I know 2,000 years have passed. Be sure. Be sure. This morning before you leave this place, just know it, that Jesus is going to return. If that is the case, listen, and Jesus says this so completely, doesn't he? He says, if that is the case, then you need to be ready. You need to be ready. In verse 37, it says that this coming will come in moments as the days of Noah were. Notice in verse 38, for in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. He says, time will just be going on. Just the everyday task, the everyday works, the everyday moments be happening just like it was in the day of Noah. I mean, eating and drinking, that's just a, it's just an everyday thing, right? Pretty much. At least lately it has been. I'm going to leave this alone after this, all right? But Leslie looked at me Monday and she said, Reggie, you got to slow down. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. You got to slow down. That was probably a good word. Eating and drinking, just mundane things. All of us just do. They were just eating and drinking. People were getting married. They were enjoying the relationships. They were going about their business. That's basically what it says. It's just going about their business. They had no idea or at least they couldn't even think clearly enough to see that judgment was coming. And yet, judgment was just a rain cloud away. It was right upon them. Sometimes we get caught up on just such the everyday stuff, don't we? And we forget about the big eternal picture that God has for us. I can give testimony. Some of you just looked at me and said, preacher? Yep. I can give testimony that there have been days where I've just been caught up on the routine, just the everyday task, and just for a moment I've lost focus and perspective of eternity. We just get eating, drinking, the relationships. Later on he'll talk about those who will be grinding, those who will be in the field, who will be working, he says they just go about their own business each and every day. Just regular moments. It's kind of like for us. Some, I mean, we just go to school. We just go to the office. Just everyday stuff. I mean, come on. How many? For most of us, those are just regular types of days. And yet, it is in those regular types of moments 
that we need to be ready. You know, again, we still, we all go about some of the regular stuff just like they did in the days of Noah, the eating, drinking, the marrying, the relationships, the, the working uh, each day, the, the reaping, all of those kinds of things. We do that today. We just do it a little differently, right, than Noah's day did. Today, we just post most of that stuff on social media. We do the same thing, but now it's on Instagram or uh, Facebook. Or I, I, I saw yesterday on CNN a TikTok. I've never, not heard of that. But it's, it's just about now we just post it. We go about our regular business, the mundane things. But Noah and his family, the immediate family, prepared for what was to come. You and I need to be preparing. We need to be ready. If we are sure that it's going to happen, and it is something that that truth resides within us, then that means that we need to be ready for what is going to happen when Jesus comes again. First, you got to have faith, right? When I'm reading through this, and I see like verse 40, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. It is the seriousness of dealing with the coming of Jesus. Are we prepared? Are we ready? The only way that I find in Scripture that you and I can be truly ready, to, to begin with at least, initially ready, is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He looked at the old sage, the old ruler of the people of Israel, and he said to him, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He said the only way to everlasting life is through faith and trust. Hey, listen, some years ago when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord, when I confessed him, that sealed the deal for me. Oh, I'm not what I need to be yet. I didn't say that. God's still working on me. But as far as my salvation, as far as my eternity, it was guaranteed that day. How can you have such assurance of that? Because the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on the Lord shall be saved. Who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not about whether I, it's about, it's not whether about what I do. It's about whether or not I believe him. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. Is that, is that what he says? I called on the name of the Lord. Guess what? He saved me. Also, this little pesky word called eternal, eternal life, that means forever. If Jesus gave you eternal life and then took it right back, I hate to tell you, that's not eternal. That's temporary. In my scripture, it never says temporary. It says eternal. So how do I know one day when he returns that I'll be one of those taken? Because I've had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Well, how about our works? How about maybe I'm good enough? No, 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 no. 
Have some of you have heard me preach more than once? You know that I hold a biblical view in this, and that is this, that our righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags. Your goodness, my goodness, will never get us into heaven. Ever. Ever. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, according to what Paul says, his righteousness is imputed unto us. So that when I stand before the Father, I do not stand in my own righteousness. I stand in his. That's the assurance I have. That one day, when he returns, I will be taken. I need to move on, but let me just say this. How we should pray. How we should pray. That others would come to faith. Before that moment when Jesus returns. Do you remember one of the reasons Jesus is holding off on his return? According to what Peter tells us. One of the reasons Jesus has not come is because he is not willing that any should perish. Right? In other words, one of the reasons Jesus hasn't come yet is to give people more time to come and repent of their, their sins and to have faith in him. I'm so grateful. As much as I have prayed even so, come Lord Jesus, there have been days I have been so thankful that he didn't come 20 years ago. Because there would have been some people that I knew at that point, even in my family, that would not have gone to be with Christ. You know what? There are still people in my family who are lost. There are still friends of mine who are lost. And while there are days I look up to heaven just as John did and I say, even so come Lord Jesus, I'm tired of all of this. There's another part of me that says, Lord, just give us more days. Give us more days to be more faithful to your witness. Give us more days to teach and to share your good news because there are people all over our communities and all over this globe who are lost and going to hell without you. And Lord, we pray that you would give us more time. Give our siblings more time. Give our parents more time. Give our children more time. But not only that, give that tribe that, that did not know you, that, that killed one of your missionaries this week, give that tribe more time that they may come to a saving knowledge of you. He is going to come, be sure. But we need to be ready. For those of us who have had faith, that is the only way of salvation. There is no doubt. But we as Christians, what should we do? We should watch. We should be alert. We ourselves should be prepared. Verse 42, watch. Literally, it means be awake. Be awake. Keep your attention toward the eternal things of your life. Man, I love to sleep. It is one of God's greatest gifts. I'm just telling you. 
I used, I used to love to nap. I don't get to do it as much anymore, but I look forward to the days when I get to nap again. I, hey, you talk about working through some stuff. I even worked through some napology stuff. I have tried to tell Leslie this and show her this, and like, it is, oh, mm, I love sleep. But they're appropriate moments, appropriate times. Shouldn't sleep in church. Could call a couple of you out. Had a friend of mine up in Pontotoc County was preaching. He said one of his deacons slept every service. And you'd have to know us as preachers. We got a little bad side about us. He said, Reggie, one Sunday, I saw brother so-and-so back there. And I always called on him to pray when he was sleeping just to kind of, you know, he said, and when he would do that, his wife would just poke him, boom. He'd just stand up and pray. <laughs> so one day, that gentleman began to snore while he, was while he was sleeping in the service. His wife just hit him. He stood up right in the middle of the sermon and began to pray. <laughs> I said, Philip, what'd you do? Philip said, as soon as he said that, he said, Brother so-and-so, that was a lovely prayer you just offered for us. I'd like to finish my sermon now, if you don't mind, as I... I used to have a deacon sit right up front. Why would you sit up front and sleep? I had a deacon that would sit up front in my first church where I pastored. Obviously, I wasn't as dynamic as I am now or something because he would sleep through the whole service until 12 noon. His watch would go off. I used to get down by him and slap my hands and do this. Never could keep him awake. Unfortunately, there are some people walking through life, even Christians, who've had faith, but they're sleeping through their service. They're going through life with eyes wide shut. What Jesus said is, that if you believe in the coming of Jesus, the coming, the coming of the Son of Man, then you will be awake. You'll be alert. You will give attention to the things that you see around you. He, he gives that parable, right? He said in verse 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. A good example of not trying to press the details of every parable because obviously Jesus is not saying he has the same moral type of culpability that a thief does. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that just as a thief comes unannounced and, and, and you're not really thinking about that, you're not thinking about somebody breaking into your house. He said this is the way G that his return would be. And that you need to be prepared. If, he says, if you, had a, if you knew the thief would come, what would you do? You'd sit up all night. I know what some of you do. You'd be well armed. I know you. Some of us, we had called the local officials, law enforcement. Maybe they'd be there because we know that the thief. He said, you may not know the exact time or hour. And yet you need to be prepared. You need to watch. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, that same context of where Paul was talking about, about the return, he, he says the same thing. Therefore, let us not sleep 
as others do. But let us watch and be sober. You and I need to keep one eye to the eastern sky. We need to be ready. We need to be working. We need to be investing. The rest of this chapter, and really chapter 25, I think it really says that one of the ways that we are ready is that we are investing in the kingdom. That we're taking what God has given us and we're using it for eternity. We're not using it to build our own kingdoms. We're using it to build His kingdom. A gift, talent, opportunity, whatever it is, that we're using it. When He comes again, and He is, that's what I said, right? When He comes again, may He find us as His people faithful. Faithful. I know my salvation is secure. I know I'm going to be taken. But I pray one day he can look and he can say, Reggie, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to just kind of just slide in. I want to go in hearing the commendation of faithfulness from my master and from my Lord. Are we ready? Are we ready? I would say to you this morning, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're not ready. Those folks I was talking about a minute ago, you're one of the ones I'm praying for. But you can be ready. It's simply giving your life to Him Surrender, faith. Would you be ready today? Those of us in this place, you say, Oh, I know I'm saved and going to heaven. That's great. That's awesome. But folks, are you watching? Are you investing? Are you ready? Because you can be sure that he's coming again. Would you hear his call to you? And would you respond in obedience? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son the first time to this earth to walk, Lord, among men and women. Father, to live a life that was pleasing to you and one that was sufficient for us. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice that he gave. But Lord, also I thank you (laughs) for the absolute fact, the certainty that we can know that you're going to send your son to come get us one day. And God, I pray in this place that every individual is not only certain of your return, but they're ready for your return. Father, I pray for the one that is lost that you would save today. For the, those of us in this place that are Christians, are we, Lord, but we just need a recommitment, a rededication to live in the light of your coming. Because we know not the hour. 
We know not the hour when you will send your son. Father, help us to be ready even if he were to return at the end of this invitation. May we be ready. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?